Okay. So, Joe, first off, congratulations for caring about this stuff and for digging into it. We're talking most specifically about the uh, Satipatthana Sutta, right? Yes. So, the Satipatthana Sutta, actually, there are, first off, there are two of them. There is the Satipatthana Sutta number 10 in the Majjhima Nikaya and also in the Dinga Nikaya, I think it's number 22, there is the Maha Satipatthana. Now, uh, it depends upon which version. This is kind of just kind of historic in the sense that in Thai version, that it's identical. Those two suttas are the same. But if you take what's available, like, for instance, the Bodhi translation of Sutta number uh, 10, and uh, I, I forgot who did the, the one that's mostly used in the Majjhima, uh, excuse me, the Dingadakaya, and read that translation, you can see that they're quite different. They're different in length and other things like that. Uh, but most of the differences in the early part are only due to translation differences. That shows, I mean, they, they look remarkably different, where in fact, no, the poly is the same. Okay. What's different really is, is that uh, the script that was uh, uh, used was the script in uh, Sri Lanka at the time to where uh, the Thai was always using the Thai script from way back when. And that the difference between the Satipatthana and the Mahasatipatthana is only the depth at which the Four Noble Truths is gone into. Okay, that's an important point. Okay, now let's drop back to something that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa said uh, concerning the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths, that he only taught one practice method to practice the Eightfold Noble Path. And that practice method was Anapanasati. Okay. And then in the Anapanasati Sutta, it most specifically says more than one occasion that we practice Anapanasati, the mindfulness of breathing, for the fulfillment of the seven fact, excuse me, the uh, Satipatthana. That in fact, Anapanasati is the way of practicing the Satipatthana. And that's an important point because in fact, they are arranged in the same order in the sense that the body is done first, and then um, the feelings, and then the mind, and then the mind objects. And the most remarkable changes between these two is the mind objects. And we'll uh, discuss that in a moment in the sense that uh, in the Satipatthana, the, uh, the Dhamma Nupasana, the fourth area, um, the fourth tetrad that is referred to, starts off with the hindrances in the Satipatthana to where they do not start off with the hindrances in the uh, uh, Anapanasati Sutta. Then, in fact, maybe one of the distinctions is, is that the, the Satipatthana is the practice to get the mind out of the hindrances so you, you can do the set, the rest of it. Now, here's the point. In the Satipatthana Sutta, in this Dinga Nikaya, uh, excuse me, in the um, uh, Dhammanupasana uh, section, it first has the hindrances, and then what are the next items on the list? Do you know them? Did you read it close enough to where you actually remember the items on that list? There uh, is the five aggregates. Yeah, there's the five aggregates. Um... I'm not sure exactly what the next one is. I know there's the seven, seven factors of awakening. The seven, seven uh, the seven factors of enlightenment are listed both in the Satipatthana and in the uh, Anapanasati Sutta in different respects. But in the Satipatthana, it's listed as a mind object. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Was, the seven factors of awakening. Um, uh, what else is there? Um, but I, I mean, I, I know I there's the, the Four Noble that Truths. question when we yeah. first started talking, and that is, is that's the Four Noble Truths, four truths and the yeah, Eightfold Noble Truths, path, yeah. and that's the whole yeah. predominant part of it. 
Yeah. But now look at it this way. These are the entire concepts of everything that you can do with the mind or right. have mind objects. You okay. can either be in hindrances or you can be in Dhamma. Yeah. Could be in wholesome. That's a major point of view about that. And that the Anapanasati Sutta has it arranged so that they assume that by the time you get there, that you're not dealing with mind objects of hindrances, that you finished with them, and that the only thing left are wholesome things to talk about. Okay, so this is an important aspect of the fact that the Anapanasati is practiced for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness. But then the four foundations of mindfulness are also uh, practiced for the fulfillment of the Sambhojana or the seven factors of enlightenment, which is in both of those suttas. But now there's another point, and that is, is that most people think of the seven factors of enlightenment as just another list of stuff the Buddha come up with. He's got so many lists of this and that and the other thing, and now he's got this list too. But if you look carefully at it, you'll see that know that the seven factors of enlightenment or the seven skills that have been developed are in fact the same skills that were to be developed in the path. In right. the Eightfold Noble Path, we gave the skills that are to be developed, and then in the Anapanasati Sutta, it talks in detail about the skills to be developed with these things, leaving us then with the seven factors of enlightenment of the development, these developed skills. Okay. And then we practice these seven skills uh, and develop them for the fulfillment of knowledge and deliverance. This is how the Anapanasati Sutta actually ends, in, is in um, knowledge and deliverance. And this means then that uh, basically the path is, is that you have to see what the problem is first, the baggage that you're carrying, and then you can set the baggage down. Okay. Okay. Or another way of saying it is once you figure out where the seatbelt buckle is, then you can push it and get out. <laughs> knowledge first. Okay. And and uh, the knowledge then is which buttons to push that eject, that give us the ejection seat to throw us out of this mess. Hmm. I, I wonder why in talking about the body, because it seems quite different from the Anapanasati in that uh, there's this big section on disgust with the body. Uh, and uh, I just wonder why that is there and if it's helpful at all or yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to dabble a little bit in theory based upon some stuff that I have seen in the suttas and based upon what I see in, in the world that it appears that greed or lust was much stronger in those in the young men of the, of the Buddha's day. Okay. And for that reason, he was trying to point out the, uh, the danger, not just the gratification of sensuality and sensual desire, to where modern mind is much more balanced between greed and ill will. Okay. Okay. Much it's more. Not balanced. exactly a, a good change, but <laughs> it's a change nonetheless. Uh huh. Well, you could say that half the job that was that needed to be done for the wild mind of the young men in Buddha's day, half the job has been done by the Catholic Church. Right. But boy, have they been taking a whack at at, at sexuality. Right? Yeah, I was I was a Catholic, raised a Catholic, so I've I've got that. <laughs> okay, so and, and they do it slightly differently, but it's the same approach. One's using a bush axe, and the other one is is using a full broad axe. But other yeah. than that, uh, they're they're whacking away at it. Um, and so there's there's also some issues about the Satipatthana that a lot of people don't understand 
because they think that the Satipatthana is the, the method that the Buddha taught rather than sort of a companion to the actual teaching, which is the Anapanasati Sutta in relationship to the, um, the Eightfold Noble Path. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've even read I've even read books where there's a book by a scholar monk that goes really in depth on the whole Satipatthana and basically kind of that he says that that's the whole the whole thing. So there there is that section of Western Buddhism, I think, that is going yes. on. Right, <laughs> great overattachment, and you can say that much of that overattachment has uh, had roots in the Vasudhimagga. It also, this, uh, the um, Satipatthana Sutta has some whiffs and sniffs of magical thinking. Okay. To where the Anapanasati Sutta, uh, the, the closest to magical thinking is the Buddha says, if you practice this, you will get great fruit, great benefit yeah. from the practice of Anapanasati. Yeah. That, that's, by the way, kind of telling. So there's... There's more to it, though, that there are details within the Satipatthana Sutta that make the practice of Anapanasati make sense. Especially with the parts of the body of the reaching and grasping and and walking and paying attention to what the body is doing. Okay, an example of that is, is that most people, when they pick up an object, they've got the mind on the object. And Buddha's asking us, no, change the uh, the focus onto the hands grasping the object. Right. And so uh, before you reach the object, you stretch out your hands, you grasp, you uh, while you're grasping, you, you do kind of like this so that you uh, make your hand movements more uh, of a dance. Okay. More intentional. Yeah. driven by the mind rather than driven by desire for the object. Yeah. So um, this uh, this is quite well pointed out, but it's also there uh, just kind of glossed over as almost everything is in the Anapanasati Sutta. It's really just a, uh, a shopping list, not the whole grocery cart full of groceries. It's just a shopping list. And so um, there it just mentions to know the body, to understand the body, to yeah. get into and experience the body with the intention of step four of Anapanasati is to calm and relax the body. And that's the really intention of the Kaya Nupasana is to get in touch with the body, to watch the body, to note the body, and in many, many ways to seize control of the body that we no longer let things be automatic that when i'm doing my hands like this i know that i'm doing my hands like this that it's an intentional act not right. a mindless act uh so uh the 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 way then that we look at the whole part of the anapanasati or the anapana part of it is also there we seize control we take control over the, the body's breathing and we take control over the body's breathing in a very relaxed, easy way. Rather than having it just automatic, we actually slow it down a bit and make it even more easy. We take more easy breathing mm. or we can use the short breath for energizing the body and, and uh, cleaning out. Uh, uh, basically, uh, the short breath can be used to throw out an old song that's gotten stuck in your head. If you if you have nothing else to do, you can just sit there and keep breathing and keep breathing because uh, the intention of the breathing is so strong that there's nothing much left for the body to do or the mind to do other than pay attention to what's going on right now. Yeah, it becomes quite uncomfortable after a while. I because I, that's also something that in Buddha Dasa's book he had mentioned. Uh, he, he, it was just a thing where he was describing. Uh, you can investigate a long breath in this way and a short breath in this way, and notice how uncomfortable it is. And I just tried it and was like, wow. That, I mean, 
because normally when I'm meditating or doing anything with mindfulness, I'm almost always doing a long breath. It's almost, I, I just haven't really purposely done a short breath that much. Um, right, but, but it also has the qualities of energizing. Yeah, okay. It's, it's both tiring and energizing, but look at the fact that tiring and energizing are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So I could use that for my laziness in the morning. <laughs> um, so by using the breathing, we get in touch with the body. We come to yeah. know the body well. Not only that, but we can become to control it in the sense of energizing it. It becomes tingly alive, completely alert. Um, that by breathing well, we actually make the, the mind fit for work. Right. Because we're putting a lot of um, oxygen into the blood. So that uh, uh, good fuel combinations can happen and we can really uh, become completely alive. We, we feel really good, basically, by, by practicing this. So the, um, the, the point about the seven factors of enlightenment and the Eightfold Noble Path are quite remarkable because this shows exactly the sequence of events that in fact, we could say that the sequence of events that's laid out in both the uh, Satipatthana and the Anapanasati Sutta, the sequence of events that are in the uh, Sambhojana, is so telling that, that because this is kind of the question that all of the students want to know. And that is, what do we do first? What's the order of things? What are the, what are the highlights? What are the markings? Um, uh, what are the milestones? Okay, what determines a sotapan? All of this kind of questioning. And here is where it's laid out. Because uh, one of the options is, is that things are to be practiced in order of the Satipatthana, or they're practiced in the order of the Eightfold Noble Path, or that they're practiced in the order of the Anapanasati Sutta in the same order as the Satipatthana. But here is where, no, this is the chronological order. And the first item on the list is unremitting sati. Yeah. Sati, that's the first order of business, right? And you'd say, but yeah, you know, I kind of knew that already because after all, we're talking about the sati patana and we're talking about the anapana sati. You'd expect then that this really is all about Sati, especially said Sati is on the Eightfold Noble Path too. <laughs> and so finally it starts to sink in because it's been hit so many times. Yes, that, that in fact, I'm clapping my hands like this in the sense of unremitting Sati. It just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And the to Sati is actually what we could say is, is that it doesn't matter what are the skills you develop. If you don't remember to use those skills, then there's of no value. Right. Okay. It's like um, the kid has a compass laying right there on his desk and he knows how to use it. But he goes to draw a circle and he's just forgotten about the compass. And he could do a much better circle if he had used the compass. And all he has to do is just think of the compass. There it is. But he forgot yeah. to use it. <laughs> so this is why sati, or the remembering part, winds up being so much important. And this is the one that seems to be missing in everything, in, um, in psychology especially. I mean, the guy can the client can with the therapist help figure out not only what the problem is and what to do about it he pays his fee he goes away and he's no better off than he was before why because he's forgetful about the issue he keeps yeah. forgetting at the wrong time yeah and the sati is um 
if, if we could remember to do the right thing at the right time, we would do the right thing at the right time. But often we forget to do the right thing when we need it most. In fact, I see uh, it kind of humorous about Murphy's Law, you know, and NASA's Murphy's Law. Anything well, that can, can go, go wrong, wrong will go wrong, and it will go wrong at the worst possible moment. Yeah. Okay, that's sati. What we mean by going wrong uh, at the worst possible moment, any worst possible moment that comes into your life, and that's the time you're going to forget sati when you need it the most. An example is when you're getting arrested or when you're getting shoved into the hospital by a few people carrying a, you from the meat wagon. Okay, these are the times we really need sati. <laughs> When that when the next breath that you take, you know, is going to be the last one that you'll ever have. This is when we need sati. Mm. OK, but when the when the mother in law yells at you, we need sati. Mm. When the dogs are in the yard barking, we need sati. Yeah, we need sati often. And so this is the main skill to be developed. And this is uh, when it is on uh, when it is, in fact, a factor of the uh, enlightenment, not just a factor of your path to enlightenment, the factor of the enlightenment is the fact that you can get back in there and remember. Remember to wake up, remember to be in the present moment, remember to throw the hindrances out and then remember to apply the Dhamma. So this is kind of why the Dhamma is in such great exposition in that end part of the Satipatthana is because these are the kinds of things that we should be spending most of our time thinking about. If we're going to be just randomly thinking about a bunch of stuff, the most wholesome random kind of stuff that I could think of would be Dhamma. Right. That we begin to have everything is Dhamma. Everything, in fact, is worthy of an investigation from the perspective of Dhamma. And so that's the second item on the list, unremitting investigation of the Dhammas. The teachings of the Buddha, we reflect upon that as in everything. Yeah. And, and with that, we begin to get energized that, in fact, this part of energy, you could say, is, is that when energy is a factor of the uh, of the enlightenment, that means that it is the correct development of right effort. Because right effort, when it's fully developed, no effort at all. It's energy instead. Okay, so uh, one of the analogies I use for this is, is imagine that the kid has the jack-in-the-box you know, round and round with your the thing and you play the little music and pop goes a weasel and Jack comes out of the box. Well, for most of us, the door opens, but the Jack don't come out. We have to go in there and grab him and pull him out. That's the right effort to get the Jack back out of the box. Hmm. Guess what? After we do that several times, now we can put the lid on, turn the crank, and the Jack will pop out by itself. Now it's got that, it's got his mojo back. It's got a spring to it. Right. OK, and so this is um, uh, and look at this now, the first three items on the uh, of the tip of the um, seven factors of enlightenment are three factors on the Eightfold Noble Path just right off the bat. Right. <laughs> and so the next one then on the uh, factors of enlightenment in the Pali is, is labeled as Piti Sukha. Piti Sukha is actually a word in Pali that they are conjoined uh, often to talk about a particular state of mind that it has both factors. And I could say both factors would be both the feeling of success and satisfaction. That often we can have the feeling of success, but it ain't good enough, we want better. And sometimes we have satisfaction, but we haven't gotten anything out of it. When we have that feeling of both success and satisfaction, and we have that feeling any time that we want it, unremitting, it's like waking up, investigating, taking the, uh, the right effort, which is no effort at all, 
to gladden the mind, to brighten the mind, to come out of it immediately, okay? And so then the next item on the list is good old relaxation. Relaxation in the, back to the uh, Satipatthana and the Anapanasati Sutra. In fact, the Anapanasati Sutra step four is the relaxation of the body. Well, that then is part of the natural occurrence that when we feel on top of the world, we feel relaxed. And so we allow that base, that body relaxation. So as we're practicing, we're practicing to gladden the mind, to satisfy. We're practicing. In fact, Anapanasati has uh, uh, sukha as a skill to be developed. And uh, pity is a skill to be developed. Now, they're in the sutta, uh, pity sukha, in order of their occurrence in normal language, piti sukha. But the practice is the reverse of that, that we develop uh, sukha first. And okay. as we develop sukha over and over again, we begin to get the feeling that we can do this. We begin to feel really successful at it long after the initial satisfaction builds in. Mm. But when we have it as a factor of enlightenment, or a factor of the awakening is both of them are together, mm-hmm. not necessarily an equal choice. As you, in fact, you have that choice as to how gleeful you're going to be over it, or just how easygoing, satisfied you're going to be over it. Up to you, because <laughs> you have already that quality. So sometimes I feel like I I I have have it down where like in. My private life, when I'm like kind of on my own, I'm like, wow, this is really easy. I can just carry this forward. All I have to do is just keep doing Remember. this. Remember. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I get into real life and other situations, and I think, wow, there's still a lot of work to do here because somehow I've forgotten again. Uh, <laughs> That's right. When we get out into the world, we just kind of forget all about forgetting all about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that is, is that we forget it in the sense of sati. And if we have sati, then we that would mean that we would be wise enough to forget all about the problems of the world. Right. But right. we don't. Exactly. We get we forget. Yeah to stop forgetting and so we start remembering and so we get stuck into it yeah funny I mean, about I language tell, that way i even tell myself sometimes i'm like okay don't don't forget that it's all totally ridiculous that you're going to be entering a situation that's totally ridiculous and i still forget and it's it's amazing that i can that i can do that, that. but then yeah that's just let's, how it is let's <laughs> make it let's make one change to the language there just a slight change from okay. it, this is ridiculous because the word ridiculous actually has to mean that this is worthy of ridicule okay all right okay. and use instead the word hilarious this is hilarious <laughs> that's good that's a good way of looking at it yeah <laughs> Yes, um, ridiculous ha- uh, has the quality, has a negative. Yeah, it has kind uh, of a negative connotation. It has a yeah. bit of negative, but uh, hilarious doesn't necessarily have that. In fact, it lightens it up. Yeah. So, yes, but we we often don't remember. So this is why in the uh, seven factors of enlightenment, always sati is the starting point. That's the that's that's it. That's the wake up. That's the spark. You cannot yeah. get a fire going unless you get a spark going. Yeah. And so the spark is the sati and the fuel, we assume, has already been gathered together there. What is the fuel? The fuel is the uh, that which energizes one's right effort to change the unwholesome thought into the wholesome thought. But in fact, backing up just a little bit about what you were saying, yes, getting away from it all, literally getting away from the maddening crowd allows us to get away from our own maddening crowd. Yeah. But when we get into the uh, the maddening crowd that gave us our own personal maddening crowd, 
those two crowds seem to overwhelm things. We yeah. get back lost into it. But if we can stay out of the real maddening crowd long enough to get rid of our personally manufactured uh, crowd, at least for a short time, we can go back into the world without getting back into the world. That we can, like Jesus says, be in the world, but not of it. it. Or another way of saying it is, is that we can visit, but we don't stay. Like Paris is a wonderful city to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Okay, well, society is a nice place to visit, but we don't want to live there. We want to live in solitude. Right. And so this kind of gets to something that I wanted to ask, too, because uh, just like on a practical level, like my life right now, I'm kind of in a position where I don't have I don't have like a job and I don't have responsibilities really right now. Uh, and I I don't really have uh, like I'm, I'm recent, like I'm recently divorced and I don't have so much going on. So I kind of can set up a period of seclusion for myself. Um, but I, I just wonder about the practical aspects of it, because I've kind of contemplated between like camping or trying to do it at home. But at, at home, the two main things that I have, you can probably tell that I'm a bookworm and I have my books and my computer that are always there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's my two like links to society there. But and I'm not I'm just not sure if I can set it up at home. I, I should be able to, but yeah, it's just been something that I've been thinking about this sort of, because you've talked a lot about seclusion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, going in that direction, we can talk about that the Buddha did recommend going to the forest. Right. And I would suggest uh, with modern times, in fact, when people in the time of the Buddha went to the forest, they had camping equipment. Yeah. The whole point of the Buddha's robe and the bowl and all those stuff that he carries, that's just camping gear. Yeah. <laughs> so use some modern uh, thought and take some camping gear and, yeah, go go camping. But, in fact, um, earlier this year, Robert and Eric and Kishan, or they accompanied Kishan, on his two-week vacation, and he went to the great northwest and went out into the wilderness, and they went with him. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yes, I would, I would highly recommend a camping trip would be of more value to the right guy doing the right thing on that camping trip than paying $2,000 to do a retreat. Yeah. Um, uh, if you can't do the camping trip, then at home would be okay. No, I mean, I, I totally can because I, I own, uh, 40 acres of land, like 10 minutes from where I live. Uh, so I have the land there that I totally can. Uh, it, the only thing is the weather. I mean, it's a little bit cold right now, but you know, uh, you can have fires and stuff, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, if it's only 10 minutes then you could go, you could wake up and go and stay the whole day in the woods. Yeah, I could do that too. And then come back. I thought and of that. Mm-hmm. So you I can make a kind of a combo, spending most of the day in the woods without the books and without the computers and yeah. <laughs> open nature, open sky. That's yeah. the way the Buddha lived. Right, right. I do a bit myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, getting away from it all, um, even stuff in the room is all human made. Getting out to nature where you're around things that were not made by humans will allow you to have uh, a draining out that's a lot easier to do. Yeah. And not only that, but then you can deal with, uh, let us say, unusual situations and unusual fears. Like uh, if you're sleeping out in the woods, things that go bump in the night and how are you going to feel? Are you going to be afraid? Are you going to be a handle it? How's uh, so? It's a marvelous opportunity to practice if you can remember. Yeah, I mean, I I live in an area where we only have wild boar, so it's. Uh, but I have been at night on the land. And I've, I spent quite a lot of time there, and 
it is interesting thinking of a time when there would have been wolves and bears and things like that. Cause I think, I think my impression would be a lot different, but somewhere in my head, I'm like, Oh, I'm kind of safe here. Cause there, there's only wild boars, but <laughs> I think it'd be a different experience if I was in like Thailand or something and there's all these tigers and snakes and stuff, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Going back to the seven factors of enlightenment, just for completion's sake, there's two more items on the list. We've covered yeah. five of them. Yeah. And the last items on the list, surprisingly enough, is right organization of mind, right unification of mind, unremitting right unification of mind, which is, in fact, that item on the Eightfold Noble Path, the right area samadhi samai area samadhi that's to be yeah. practiced as a skill now is unremitting it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back along with the word upeka which has the quality of balance but um the word balance is confusing a better way of thinking of it is is that it's dynamic balance rather than dead balance Okay, dynamically balanced like seesaw. Can you ride a seesaw? Or are you going to freak out because you want it stable? Right. Okay. Or that if you're on a boat, like a captain of a big fishing boat, he in heavy water, he can still get from the bow to the stern, but a lab lover can't make it, okay? Right. Without crashing into things. Well, that's how we go around living our lives. Everybody lives in a society that's high seas while we're being told that no, everything is stable. Hmm. And so we don't we don't have our balance. Everybody feels, you know, um, unsettled. The question is, is after you figure out that no life is high seas. And you can still be able to manage yourself if you watch what's going on. That's Upeka. Upeka is a kind of, uh, uh, let us say, the balance is from the waist up. From the legs down, there's a whole lot of movement going on to maintain that balance. Mm. Okay. So in the mind, that means that we have to deal with a lot of incoming stuff to dodge it so that it doesn't hit us. We don't crash into things. No matter the splings and arrows of outrageous fortune, no matter where they're coming from or how hard they are, they always miss because we know how to dodge. (laughs) So that would be uh, a better way of looking at opaca. Okay. Okay. Rather than too stable because too stable is an easy target. (laughs) (laughs) So with that seven factors of enlightenment, this gives us then the knowledge that we can take for deliverance. But we practice that in a kind of a way that um, uh, has been known, but it's not widely known. And that is, is there's actually two ways of practicing. One is, is to practice the body, the feeling, and the mind together to get the factors there together correctly, which would be in, in regard to, that would be first jhana. First jhana means that we now have the ability to delight the mind, to feel satisfied, to feel uh, successful, to have a relaxed body, to see the relationship between the mind and the feelings. Okay, and so now we're able to maintain that, uh, that or sustain that uh, mind in a good state. This would be the first jhana. And then according to the... Uh, Sutta number 111, uh, one by one as they occur, this is exactly how the Buddha describes the way that Sariputta did it. And that was is that he practiced the first jhana, got himself into the first, second, and third tetrad of Anapanasati so he could do the fourth tetrad. There is sometimes called a, a dry insight method which means go do the, uh, the the fourth tetrad of Anapanasati without a mind fit for doing it. Okay, don't get your juicy good looks going. Don't 
don't do any of that. Just start out as a miserable son of God and just go into it. I mean, uh, dry and salty is the uh, uh, is that method. And that, I think, came uh, perhaps uh, uh, as much as 100 or 200 years after the time of the Buddha. That, in fact, both the word Vipassana and the word Samatha do appear in the uh, Majjhima Nikaya, but not within relation to each other and not as an important word. And yet, Vipassana seems to be the, almost the number one word in Buddhism in the West. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't really mean anything in, in, in the suttas without having, let us say, an, in, an arch enemy of Samatha. So, are you going to have Samatha meditation or are you going to have Vipassana meditation? There is actually the reason that I say about the time frame is because we know that the Anguttara Nikaya is relatively late. Much of it's quite, quite late. And that's where you find eight or nine suttas that all have the same theme. And that is, is that that's an irrelevant argument. One of the ways, one of the sutras takes it from the point that if you've got Vipassana, your job is to get Samatha. If you've got Samatha, your job is to get Vipassana. And shame on you for doing one or the other. If you don't have either one, congratulations, now your job is to get both. Okay, that and, and another way of looking at it is, is that uh, a bird cannot fly with just one wing. You've got to have both. And that uh, you could go so far as then as to say that jhanas in and of themselves, by themselves, and what the Buddha was doing before he became enlightenment was samatha only. No jhana, or excuse me, no uh, um, vipassana. But basically, the funny thing is, is that the very things that we do need to look at, which is what the Mahasi method calls the noting, has to do with the rising and the falling of events, you know, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And Anapanasati has to do with the rising and falling of the, of the Dhammas, which looks almost, um, let us say, unrelated completely unrelated to the Dhamma-Nipassana in the Satipatthana Sutta, which has a sequence of events of first the hindrances, get rid of them, then have the five uh, aggregates, then the seven factors of enlightenment and the four noble truths, and this is what you have as your Dhammas, mm -hmm. right? So, but the Anapanasati Sutta is arising and passing away, arising and uh, cessation, fading, that kind of stuff. Where, where is that? Uh, some bright students would ask. Well, the answer is, is that when the mind is truly fit for work, which means that we have the factors of the jhana, that instead of getting the first jhana only to go get the second jhana, only to go get the third jhana, only to go get the fourth jhana, because we're all greedy and everything like that, that we actually use the first jhana to maintain it, to get into it, so that we can develop the skill of getting into it easily and maintaining it through that sustaining of wholesome thoughts. So basically, then, the question is, well, what are we going to be thinking about if our thoughts are only wholesome? Uh, if your thoughts are only wholesome, what are you going to be thinking about? Mm-hmm. Um, well, probably all those factors that, like the seven factors and uh, the four noble truths and things things of this nature, right? I think your mind would naturally shift to, to that. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's another perspective that we can take on that, and that is, is that when you are in first jhana, then the way to maintain the first jhana is by continually investigating the first jhana. Okay. 
Okay, so the first item on the list, uh, uh, let us say the last item on the list of the development of the first jhana is applied and sustained thought. We can finally get the mind wholesome. Right. That means that now we've gotten the mind wholesome. Getting in into first jhana, we were watching the mind apply and wholesome. Now that we're in the first jhana, that's still the first job that we do is we make sure that every thought is wholesome. We keep looking at the applying and sustained thought. How is my application? Can I sustain it? Can I keep the wholesome thing going? And so this is the development then of the first jhana is being in the first jhana, noticing and observing the first jhana. How is my pity? How is my sukha? Or back to the Eightfold Noble Path. How is my effort? How is my investigation? How's my sati? This is what there is wholesome to look at. And this is what develops those skills is because now the things that we're noting is not just any old thing that happens, which is the way that the Mahasri say. Now we got a specific list of things that we're going to be watching. What is that? These jhana factors. Yeah. I got to make sure no hundreds is here. No, we're sustaining these on wholesome thoughts. Yeah. Yes, we are gladdening the mind. Yes, we do feel good. We are, in fact, feeling safe and secure. I can talk about it in the sense I got no animals here to bite. I got no cops calling. The mafia is not here today. The bills didn't arrive today. Everything is cool today. The sun's not too hot. Everything is fine. What a wonderful day this is. So this is the kind of thoughts that we will have, but we know we're having these thoughts, that we're directing them. Mm-hmm. We're sustaining these thoughts, and we know that we've got it. And so these are the things that we're actually going to be applying the mind to as the things that are worth noting are the good things that are happening right now. And as we continue that, we can also then uh, begin to drop away factors. For instance, once we have one wholesome thought after another, we can begin. In fact, we have to have gaps between these thoughts so that we can really experience how we feel. We have mind moments of feelings. Well, while we're not having mind moments of thinking about how good we feel and having mind moments instead of actually feeling how good we feel, that's actually the second jhana. And so now that's what we're actually uh, noting is how good we feel. And when we get that relaxed, then that's the third jhana and we note how good that feels, but now it's even more relaxed. So relaxation more and more, and we begin to pay attention to more subtle things as we leave around or as we leave behind the more gross aspects of the first jhana so that the pity melts into sukha, which then melts into apeka. And the applied and sustained thought then melts into feelings, and the feelings melt into apeka. So this is the way that it's practiced and that we we are watching this always in the sense of every mind moment arises and passes away, arises and passes away. And we keep noticing this. We keep noticing the thoughts as they trail off. So now we're paying more attention not to step 13 as things occur, but we're watching also that as this occurs, that dried out. Begin to watch that you're saying goodbye to thoughts as you leave them, only to meet the new thoughts. And we always are glad-handing and saying hello, and we're not actually looking at all the goodbyes that we say. And so this is why the Buddha is talking about the arising and the passing away. And so this is actually the fourth uh, tetrad of the Satipatthana and the fourth tetrad of the Anapanasati when practiced correctly and well is actually just the noting of the mental states that one goes through while they're in jhana okay noting it well and that's the vipassana is noting these wholesome things so i wonder in the in the third uh tetrad there like he he in the satipatthana he goes on a lot about different um states of mind so you're saying to 
like to only wait until you have the Jonic factors and investigate them. But he lists he lists a whole lot of other ones, you know. I mean, he lists sort of like a a bit. I don't really remember off the top of would my head. Would you put them in the realm of unwholesome states of mind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some of them I would. Yeah. Okay. Well, you note those so that you can get out of them. Okay. All right, you don't note them and then keep noting them and, and then note keep them investigating. Again and right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's kind of what I was getting at because there's also kind of this sort of like. Uh, this feeling that I get sometimes from reading it of like, okay, well, you have a really wholesome state of mind. Well, now you could you could bring up anger and investigate that, but that seemed it, it always seemed kind of counterintuitive. But I, I don't know. It's just kind of the uh, something that I've I've heard and something that other teachers have also. Um, Tiknahan, who I, I follow, uh, he tends to say, if you want to investigate your sadness to to wait until you have mindfulness established and then bring in the sadness and give it a hug and kind of cuddle it and okay yeah, this yes <laughs> this in fact um Achen Sumedo refers to this as wise reflection okay uh-huh that the worst time to experience anger is in anger Right, exactly. You're not going to see too much. I mean, all you're going to see is red. You're going to see uh, uh, desire and frustration and all of that kind of stuff as hindrances. But if we have the ability to get the mind stable and uh, in a pleasurable state, so that, and, and in fact, not just a pleasurable state, but also a comfortable, confident state, that I, in fact, can start looking at some of my worst bad behavior. Right. Lovingly. Right. So that I can learn some lessons from it and get over it and learn the triggers for how that got started so that I don't get tripped up and fall down again. Okay. So uh, a kind of humorous example of that is uh, from the, uh, from the, the song that has to do with uh, uh, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start all over again. And when we think of the uh, Eightfold Noble Path as kind of a road with a gutter or a ditch, and so we talk about landing in the ditch, okay? Inspecting the ditch is not what we do when we're in the ditch. We get back out of the ditch, right? and we turn around and we look at what path did we take to get into that ditch, Right. So that we can be mindful. I'm not going to do that again. Right. And then be boogie on down the road. That's, in fact, the part of it is dusting ourselves off, getting this thing finished, you know, get out of the ditch. Yeah. But once you're out of the ditch, now we're going to reflect about how did we get into that ditch before? But we're not going to go get back into the ditch. <laughs> we're, going, right. we're going to be doing this out of the ditch. When right. we're in the ditch, we can't see the path that we took to get in the ditch. You got to get back out of the ditch and on the road and see the rut that we took that got us into the ditch. Potholes or rocks or stones in the road that throws us to swerve into the ditch. Okay. So, yes, what you're saying is exactly right. I'm just giving it a kind of a twist or turn. But what Samato said and what uh, Titnahan said and what the suit, yes, that's exactly correct. That okay. the place to look at anger is not when we're in anger. Right. Or another way of saying it is, is that in the first jhana, if we have mindfulness at the point of contact so that we are capable of managing our feelings, then we have interrupted the path of Paticca Samapada that leads into Dukkha. We're not going to go into Dukkha. That we're handling things wisely, which means that now the right thing to do is to not spend our time thinking about the hard part of the path of the grasping and the clinging and the becoming and the, the birthing into the woeful states and the uh, dukkha itself. Now our mind moments are figuring out, how do we get into that ditch? What is my perception? How do I perceive things? How do I in invent these ditches to jump into? Right. Okay. 
So the uh, so what you you said from Titnahan is exactly right, precisely right. That's exactly the way that we practice the Eightfold Noble Path, especially in relationship to the uh, uh, the Paticca Samuppada. But we what? have to have the mind fit for work. If we are in dry, if we are in dukkha, dukkha is really really hard to see when you're in dukkha. Or the other way of saying it is really hard to see that cell in the magnifying glass or under the microscope when we're under the microscope. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what what do you think of, of Thich Nhat Hanh? I don't know how familiar you are with his writings and stuff, but, um, or if you, yeah. Um, I have thought of him uh, as a, as a noble student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Okay. That's the way that I would, that's how I think of him. Yeah. <laughs> He's a noble student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. No, I, I know that he, he really uh, talks really like highly of the Theravada tradition, even though he's Mahayana in, in his book on the commentaries of the sutras, like the first sutras that he all um, chooses are all Theravada. Uh, and it's only at the end of the book that he adds a few Mahayana ones uh, in there. Here but. is something that I did not know, even at the time when it was important. I did not know it then. I only found out recently. But in the 1970s, after the fall of Saigon, the, the um, communist government required unification of Buddhism within Vietnam. Mm -hmm. That in fact, if you've looked at maps, you can see that it's basically a north-south kind of thing. North Vietnamese was Mahayana and South Vietnamese was Theravada. And if we're going to be one country, the government saw fit to kind of put the, uh, the pressure on the Sangha. Mm -hmm. What happened by 19, you know, let us say 2004-2005 time frame, here I am as a Theravada monk visiting uh, a, a Vietnamese Wat, and in that Wat was both a Mahayana-dressed uh, Vietnamese monk and a uh, Theravada-dressed monk, mm -hmm. except that the big joke in town was that the one who was in dressed in the traditional uh, Mahayana uh, robes was originally ordained Theravada. But then he went and he was with monks with the Mahayana. That's where he was when he was invited to America. So he still continues to use wear the Mahayana robes. And the exact <laughs> same opposite happened to the other guy at that watch. He was ordained Mahayana, but he went south. He got into the Theravada. He started dressing with the Theravada, and then he got recruited to come to America as a Theravada dress. That's how close Mahayana and Theravada are in Vietnam. Yeah. So when yeah. you tell me that Titnahan says this, that, and the other thing, I know where he came from. <laughs> yeah. I know the background behind all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, because that's the, it's hometown. It's not that much different, right? Not not in Vietnam. It uh, the the Mahayana is not quite as Mahayana in Vietnam, and the Theravada <laughs> is not quite so Theravada in Vietnam. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes, it does. It makes perfect sense. When people understand what's going on, oh, but it's it is all capable. Of becoming noble. But back to the point that you're mentioning, yes, wise reflection of bad behavior yeah. so that we can um, learn from it, make it our friend, rehabilitate ourselves so that we stop doing those harmful things. Mm -hmm. So that's the dusting off, and then we boogie on down the road. Right. You know, we don't stay in that uh, uh, ditch. Okay. I'm out of it. So we get the mind back in really good shape. And so uh, practicing the Satipatthana is the practice of the Anapanasati. 
Now, some people have read the Satipatthana uh, with the with an idea of making list and coming up with forty Buddhist meditations. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Basically, what they've done is like taking a French croissant and taking a French chef knife, cutting that croissant into 40 pieces, separating each one of them out, counting them right. differently, giving each one of them a name and say, I just made you 40 croissants of various. No, <laughs> one <laughs> croissant to begin with. <laughs> OK, and so. We can say then that 10 of them are the charnel ground meditations, but those 10 meditations are not 10 meditations. It's a meditation on the body as it decays and rots away. And so the 10 stages of the corpse is not 10 different meditations. It's just one meditation in the sense of at this time we're paying attention to the body. The other one, I think, is there's about 10 casino meditations in there. Well, the Buddha gave up on the casino meditations. In fact, that's what the Satipatthana is, is that it's a replacement for the casino meditations. Yeah. Where they talk about mud. Or, actually, there's one that's kind of a humorous one. And there is there is a blue casino. It's the you one where you water? Or no, no. The sky? No. No, it's a bad translation because in the poly, the poly doesn't make a distinction between blue and green. Oh, okay. It is a green, not a blue. That's a bad translation. When yeah. you recognize it as green, that means it's the leaves of the trees. Mm. Most specifically, a casino is leaves stitched together to form a casino. Yeah. Just okay. like a mud pie or the red one which is nothing but mud, it's brown color, it's not red. These are natural, okay? The, 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 the primary colors that we have in our alphabet soup now are almost artificial. There's very, really, very rare is their red. And yet dirty red, muddy brown is all over the place. I mean, my house is that color <laughs> and we would call it red, but it's, it's not really red, not when we're talking about other kinds of reds, like the red of the rose or the red of the um, icon on our on our screen here. I thought so, I thought the red one was the the fire casino, or is that something different? Or well, uh, <laughs> actually, no, because fire casino is one of the items there also. Oh, uh, okay. 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 So, but those are all external meditations. Yeah. Anapanasati is the practice of the Satipatthana, which is internal meditation. Mm. Not a body outside, yeah. but a body inside. Not a flow of water on the outside, but the emotional flow inside. Not the fire of uh, burning sticks on the outside, but the fire of one's mind. Consciousness are our states of mind. And and then it's not the air itself, but it is the clouds that throw through the air of the mind or the smoke of the mind. If the mind is on fire, then <laughs> the thoughts are the smoke <laughs> or the clouds that are uh, proliferating the air, all very temporary. So in, in your experience, like things like sky gazing or like staring at water or things like that, they don't really lead anywhere or not useful or because I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're pleasant. Like, I mean, I've, I've sat and stared at water a lot uh, just because it's pleasant, but uh, I'm not sure that it's led anywhere, but it, it is quite pleasant, you know, but yeah. Well, all and any of these casinos can lead one into those pleasant states, especially in the sense of now the mind is um, focused on the fire or just watching the fire. And in fact, the mind will become kind of um, uh, thoughtless because we're just watching the dance of the planes. We get absorbed right. in it. Okay. Right. 
Right. So these were the original casinos that were used to create the jonic effects. The problem with it was is that when people came back out of the jhanas, they came back in the ordinary world. And what was the difference? What's the point of these jhanas other right. than just merely momentary time structuring? Yeah. And so what you do is you wind up with dudes in Burma who send 14 hours a day time structuring just to get into these jhanas because they don't like the real world very much. <laughs> So here's the point, though, is, is that it's not getting into the jhanas. It's what are we going to do with them once when you're in the get jhana. there? Right. Okay. And that is, is what we're going to investigate these jhanas to get these skills going and to be able to reflect upon um, bad behaviors joyfully and to do all kinds of things. In other yep. words, we're developing wisdom by through yeah. investigation. And guess what? The human body-mind complex is a bit more complicated than a mud pie. <laughs> and yet people can spend years studying one mud pie. That's the casino. They take that mind and they look at it and they study it and they close their eyes and they try to recreate it and they open their eyes again and find out where every little stone and every crack and every piece of leaf and stick that's in that mud pie and they'll yeah. remember it and so that they can recreate it. They act, This is actually the process of creating the skill of photographic memory. Mm -hmm. To be able to see an image and grab it. But you start with a mud pie. That's how they started, so that you could grasp that image. And then you go to a, a, a green casino, you get leaves, and you grasp that image. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done the fire casino a lot, staring at a candle. and But I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's pleasant, uh, and uh, it is really easy to get concentrated doing it, but it didn't really seem to lead anywhere for me it just seemed to be uh yeah i don't know i, I kind of gave gave up on it but <laughs> that was a couple well, years ago <laughs> that that was the state that the buddha and everyone was in in his early life that was it you either have these pleasant states that you can use these devices to get into in fact if uh if those books had been written today, we would have more than 40 because we'd have more than one casino. In fact, I would say AMC would be one, television would be one, maybe the internet would be one. That's a casino. We right. get lost in it. Right. <laughs> we get completely absorbed in it, but it doesn't do us much value other than the pleasure of the moment. And after that, there was no benefit left. Uh, it, it, excuse me. There's some. There's somebody at the door right now. Um, okay. Uh, I'll have. To, I'll have to come back in a second. <laughs> Is that okay? All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. It was a package. <laughs> no problem. Do you have any more questions about Satipatthana, especially in the way that it fits in with the Anapanasati? Um, not really. I think you cleared it up pretty well. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, we'll finish up now then. And um, and I wish, I, all I would say is I, I wish I would have talked to you uh, about like I don't know a couple of years ago <laughs> because it would have cleared up a lot of things a lot quicker just talking for an hour rather than the, the number of things that I've read has been incredible on it but <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> I I was like that it's like sometimes I stumble across something darn I wish I'd have known that thirty years ago <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay, Joe. Thank we'll, you very we'll, much. Yes, yep. we'll see you later. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Okay. Okay, bye bye. <laughs>